Someone described to me as, um, you know, figuring out what political party you live in is like finding the perfect dinner jacket, right? You're never going to find one that's absolutely made for you unless you go make your own, but you got to wear the one that fits best. Um, for me, it's about what matters to you, right? What matters to me is diversity in the tech sector. It really matters to me. I care about this. I've been working on this for years. The things that matter to you should drive you, right? And, and for me, um, I think that the opportunity to bring change through, through politics is what has driven me there. From 2020 to 2021, the number of women in tech dropped 2.6%. Uh, we're just starting to make some headway and we're seeing a drop back. So, you know, th this is, um, it's not solved. We are seeing more diversity in select companies. Folks are, are, are doing the work, but not everybody. And, uh, and it's still a real problem. So there's lots more to do here. Hello, hello, hello. I'm super excited for you to be joining us for season five, episode 65 of the Afternoon Tea Podcast, where we chat with the founders of Canada's most interesting and successful companies and personalities. Next week, we've got Brian Durate, co-founder and general partner of Black Tech Capital. But now we have a fabulous guest and a longtime friend, Brenda Bailey, Parliamentary Secretary for Technology and Innovation. I want to remind you that we're doing some super special things for season five. Canada has so many amazing startups that I wanted to share some of my favorites with you. Today's Canadian Startup of the Week is an awesome Toronto-based company named Coupley. So we'll learn a little bit about Coupley, whose founder, Tim Johnson, also has a question for Brenda. But first, let's chat with Brenda Bailey as she shares some stories about memorable feedback from her kindergarten teacher, doing market research, watching recess, share some insights into what Canadian tech does really, really well, and how leadership sometimes means being careful to not be the loudest in the room. I don't know anything about that. I tend to be the loudest in the room. But don't forget to like, subscribe, or do all those things we podcasters love. But now... Brenda Bailey was elected MLA for False Creek in 2020. She serves as the Parliamentary Secretary for Technology and Innovation. Brenda co-founded Canada's first woman-owned and operated video game studio in 2011 in response to the lack of high-quality games being developed for women and girls. She most recently served as the Executive Director of DigiBC, the Interactive and Digital Media Industry Association of British Columbia, where she worked to strengthen the province's growing creative tech industry and continued her commitment to bring more diversity and inclusion to the tech sector. Brenda previously served as the executive director of Big Sisters of BC, Lower Mainland, helping young people to realize their full potential through mentorship. Brenda has degrees in political science and social work with advanced studies in business and law. Brenda lives in Vancouver Falls Creek with her family, her giant Bernadoodle Murphy. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be here with you. Oh, wonderful. So first question, how big? is your Bernadoodle, Murphy. Oh, he's big. He's big. Um, Murphy looks like he's like half poodle and half pony. He's giant. And he's oh a complete. Gosh. He looks like a Muppet. <laughs> a giant you, know, Muppet. My, you know, my handsome twin brother, David, he has a Bernadoodle too, which was supposed to be a small Bernadoodle. Oh. I think they could run at the horse races together because those oh, dogs yeah. are monstrous. Do not leave meat on the dinner table. You, He will reach it, take it, and it will be gone. You know, interestingly, Murphy's very polite. He's he's a gentleman, Bernadoodle. He's very uh, he's very well behaved, which is good because when you're that big, it's nice uh, if they're well behaved. Oh, for sure. But they're such beautiful dogs. They are such yeah, beautiful exactly. dogs. 
Well, let's get to the brass tacks and something that I'm personally interested in. What is the role of a parliamentary secretary for technology and innovation? What do you do in that role? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's a great role. So I'm just that. so happy to have been given this opportunity. And, and I think it was a risk for the premier to do it. You know, here I am, someone he doesn't know all that well, who's, you know, part of his government just elected. I mean, think about it. Imagine being a CEO and you've got 57 people, many of whom you've just gotten to know, and you've got to build your team, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's it, interesting. You don't get to select them. You know, you build with the wood that comes in with the tide, right? <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting thing. And uh, I'm really lucky that the premier trusted me with the portfolio of uh, parliamentary secretary for tech and innovation. He knew my passion around the tech sector in British Columbia. Um, but I think it's sometimes a risk to put somebody so deeply tied to industry in that role in government, but he took that risk and I, I hope he's happy with it. I know I certainly am. Um, so a parliamentary secretary, I'm not a cabinet minister mm -hmm. and I'm not a backbencher. It's kind of right in the middle. It's, okay. uh, it's a role that you, um, you support the work of the ministry. So in, in my case, I'm part of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation and work with mm -hmm. Minister Ravi Kalon. And, and Ravi's identified particular areas for me to focus on. So I get a mandate letter, just like a minister does, and I'm responsible for, um, you know, solving those particular uh, issues that have been identified. So it's been, it's been incredibly interesting for me. Uh, one of the first things that I was able to do is um, revamp the ISI, the Innovator Skills Initiative. Lately, I've been working on our intellectual property strategy. So the, these are the kind of things I deeply care about. And it's, uh, it's just an honor to have the opportunity to serve in this way. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I mean, it's such, um, it sounds like a new sort of role in government. How long has there been this role of parliamentary secretary for technology and innovation? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how long the role has been around. I do recall that I was working with Rick Glumack, who is mm -hmm. um, uh, also from the tech sector. He worked as, I believe he was uh, a graphics engineer at EA for some time. Mm -hmm. So he's got a, a background with tech as well. Um, so I remember him in that role. I'm not sure how, how many other people have been in the role, but mm -hmm. um, what's, what's interesting about it is the role I think has been evolving over time in terms mm -hmm. of what it does. And um, you know, this is the first time it's had a mandate letter, I understand. So it's becoming more sort of, um, uh, what would you say? It's, it's getting a little bit more uh, teeth, I think over time, mm. which, uh, which is great because sure. I think all of us, you know, want to do work that matters, right? So it's it's great to have these roles. And, and government's com really complicated. I think, I, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of my biggest learnings um, transitioning from being an entrepreneur to being in government is that, you know, I kind of had these biases um, that probably many of us hold that, you know, government's so slow and ponderous and why is that, you know? And I had sort of Maybe people aren't working hard enough or, you know, maybe it's uh, watching the clock. I don't know what it is, but um, boy, have those uh, views been changed by mm. getting close to government. There's a bunch of incredibly smart, hardworking people in a deeply complex system, like mm -hmm. unbelievably complex. I've been there almost two years and I have so much more learning to do. I've, I've never seen such a complex organism. So that's why things move slowly and some of it's by design and some of it, I think we could change and, and move more quickly. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating to see all of that. And, uh, and I think that the, the sort of evolution of the parliamentary secretary role is kind of tied with that. Well, that's, that's super interesting. I suppose if anyone is going to speed up or expedite or, or at least make more efficient the, the secretary of innovation 
would be the perfect person to figure figure some of that stuff out. But I but I understand that uh, government moves at the pace it needs to move. Some people want it fast, some people want it slow, and you know we're just we're just glad you're there to uh, make sure the lights are on and uh, and helping helping us out. Now the thing that is impressed me is you've always done things that I would say are very community driven. You're, you're here to really create value um, in the community. And this is before you got into politics. Um, you're doing it through a bunch of organizations we're gonna, we're gonna touch on. But what made you decide to get into politics? Like where did you, why did you wanted to jump into that next that next level of, of, uh, of influence I'll say? Yeah, well, I've always have really been a political creature, I would say, um, you know, I've, I was involved in politics, uh, you know, in high school and, and college and, and always, um, you know, been involved in community activism to some degree or another. And, you know, when I was at McGill, I, you know, was leading the Women's Sexual Assault Center and, and responding to some pretty nasty stuff that had been going on in Montreal at the time. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been very politically active, I would say, particularly in the women's movement. Um, from the time I was probably about 15. Um, you know, when I went to law school, I was the, the senator for UBC Law, like all that kind of stuff. I love that. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I, I always thought I would make the move into politics at some point. Um, mm -hmm. But what uh, drove me to do it now was when I was running DigiBC, I interfaced. So let, let me back up for a second. I'll tell you mm -hmm. my challenge with politics in British Columbia. I'm a business person who cares about people, mm -hmm. like lots of us. So where do you live? Where do you live in a political party in British Columbia if you're a business person who cares about people? Mm -hmm. So Christy Clark asked me to join the BC Liberals, which I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was happy to see us have a woman premier. But as I got closer to the BC Liberal Party, it wasn't a fit for me. And it wasn't a fit, not because of the business side, but because it didn't deliver what I needed in regards to commitment and caring for people. And I saw that the cuts at that time were causing harm. This this is my mm -hmm. personal opinion. and. Mm -hmm. You know, just just speaking from me. Okay. Uh, but I had this old stereotype that the BCNDP was against business, even though I liked a lot of what they were doing for people. So where do I live? Um, so I tried the BC Liberals that didn't fit, and uh, I wasn't sure that I could join the NDP. I remember my dad, who was a logger, being really involved in the NDP, and that NDP didn't fit with me the the way that it was at that time, forty years ago, thirty years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was working at DigiBC, I interfaced quite a lot with this current NDP, this current government. And, um, you know, at that time, Bruce Ralston was the Minister of Technology, and I got mm -hmm. to know him and I just, what a great guy. He's incredibly smart. He's got strong ethics. Um, you know, the people that I met, I was really impressed by. And I've been really impressed by the way that Horgan has managed the economy and, mm -hmm. and actually the way he managed COVID. So I thought, geez, you know, I think, I think this actually maybe is where I live, right? Uh, so I joined the party and, um, and ran and, uh, people were, where did this person come from and who is she? And some people mm -hmm. screamed at me, you're a BC liberal. No, I'm not. I, I tried that and it didn't fit. So, mm -hmm. so I'm a bit of an odd duck, you know, I'm a bit of a, um, uh, probably more, um, as centrist really than, than, mm -hmm. than some people, but there's a lot of centrists in our party. So it, mm -hmm. as, as Horgan says, it's a big tent. So sure. that's, that's my story. Someone described to me as, um, you know, figuring out what political party you live in is like finding the perfect dinner jacket, right? You're never going to find one that's absolutely made for you unless you go make your own, but you got to wear the one that fits best. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say which way I lean politically one way or the other, but I was really honored to be on 
guess it was like a CEO's roundtable um, that I believe you you um, were facilitating for for um, um, for Premier Horgan, and it was actually the first time I got to meet him and 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 engage. And my gosh, that guy is funny. Like one way or the other, he is a really funny guy that you actually just want to hang out with. Like I I, no, I'm, I don't want to talk politics, but I would love. I'm not a fisher, a fisherman or anything like that. But I love going on a fishing trip with that guy. Like, yeah, honestly, yeah. that would be fun. He just yeah. seems like the type of guy to hang out. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to say I do appreciate, you know, what, what he's done and all that. Um, but um, well, well, tell me, I mean, it, 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 it intrigues me because you said the Christie Clark people, you know, they, they found you, which is which is actually one of the things I'm always most interested in. When you get into politics, do people find you most of the time or do you find them? Like, how does that that, that kind of that match of supply and demand, let's just say, meet each other. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> both of those. I, there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways that people get into politics. Some folks have been involved in a political party for many years and they get a tap mm-hmm. on the shoulder. Um, some folks are, are working internally at government and see how it works and want to be part of it. Some folks folks come out of left field like me. Um, so it really kind of depends. But, but what I would say is um, for me, it's about what matters to you, right? What matters to me is uh, like one of the things that, that most concerns me is diversity in the tech sector. It really matters mm-hmm. to me. I care about this. I've been working on mm-hmm. this for years mm-hmm. and I've been able to accomplish quite a bit already in politics. So the things that matter to you should drive you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, um, I think that the opportunity to bring change through, through politics is what has driven me there. So an example, the ISI initiative. So. This uh, Innovator Skills Initiative, we had $15 million. We wanted to support 3,000 people to get their first job in tech. So what that looks mm-hmm. like is we provide a $5,000 uh, incentive really to businesses to hire someone who might um, not otherwise have had that opportunity. This was designed in 2015 and largely it was designed because at that time, the, um, the kind of challenge it was solving was folks were graduating with a computer science degree and people were looking for folks with one or two years experience. So if we incentivize that little $5,000 bump, it might help folks take a risk on someone who's straight out of school. That problem is long gone, right? Mm-hmm. People are getting hired from CS degrees before they even finish their degree, right? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, that rub is so over, uh, very 2015. Um, but, um, but so how do we use this money now, right? And also mm-hmm. is $5,000 enough? So those were mm-hmm. kind of the things I was looking at. And I, I led a consultation uh, with both uh, equity-seeking folks, folks who want to work in tech and, and have found some barriers, and also tech companies to find out like where the rubs are and what we can do to solve it. And then we're also, I'm, you know, I'm a business person, I'm always trying to leverage money, right? Mm-hmm. So I found some partners and was able to increase that amount to, I think we got to 29 million from 18. Wow. So um, what we did was reinvent the program. So yeah, it's 3,000 people, but it's 3,000 people who are equity-seeking folks, so women, people mm-hmm. of color, immigrants, folks um, with uh, neurodiversity, for example. Mm-hmm. And so it encourages companies to take a risk on folks that are different than them. And we got the amount of funding up to um, $10,000. So, Amazing. you know, really to summarize it, you know, I've been working for 15 years to try to bring more diversity to tech. And, you know, one year in government, 3,000 people from diverse backgrounds hired into their first job in tech. So it feels mm-hmm. real. It feels mm-hmm. like you can have impact, right? Oh, I love that. I love that. And we see it in our industry. And I, and I guess it, uh, one thing, one thing in our industry is I think it is getting better. Like it actually is getting better Like uh, on, on our side. And we really do try to aim. I mean, it's Vancouver. So it's really kind of easy to aim for, you know, as you said, just having so much diversity, you know, enriching um, the solutions that you're creating. And, you know, we're, we're proud to say, I think we're both 
40 percent if not if not more female you know, and, and we're aiming higher mm-hmm. you you guys at ttt have taken it seriously and i've i've watched you and it's one of the reasons when you asked me to come on this was so easy for me to say yes because i admire the work that. that you guys have done there not everyone does right i mean mm-hmm. it it's it's still a challenge it really is and and one of the difficulties is during the pandemic this this is data out of the u.s but from mm-hmm. 2020 to 2021 the number of women in tech dropped uh 2.6 we're just starting to make some headway and we're seeing a drop back. So, you know, th- this is, um, it's not solved. We are seeing mm. more diversity in select companies. Folks mm. are, are, are doing the work, but not everybody. And, uh, and it's still a real problem. So there's lots more to do here. For sure. Well, I hope that people understand how we see it. It's a competitive advantage. hundred you percent know? it is. We, we, we have problems facing us um, and we want to create solutions that have different perspectives to create, you know, not just for, one small subsection of humanity prefer everyone exactly. so that the people we want to build things that people love and yeah. by discounting others you're, you're never going to get that way so so please exactly. any listeners who are, who are trying to hire hire in a global perspective because the world is global and we want to be you know serving the world's needs so yeah for sure uh, well awesome well digibc where i think you actually drove a lot of this value as well um can you tell me the experiences and maybe what is digibc as well I had such a great time at DigiBC. I love that organization. So DigiBC is the trade association for video games, animation, visual effects, and ARVR for the province of British Columbia. And uh, it was previously known as New Media BC. It's got about Mm -hmm. a 30-year, I think they're celebrating their 30-year anniversary. Um, They've done really great work over the years. So some of the work they've done, for example, is to bring in the IDMTC, the Interactive Digital Media Tax Credit, which came in in 2009 and Mm -hmm. later was expanded to include uh, AR and VR. It's a 17.5% tax credit uh, to help uh, studios um, uh, cover the incredible cost of talent, which is usually about 90% of the cost for any studio. Um, but it's a it's an organization that brings people together and really tries to highlight the incredible work that goes on in that particular sector. I'm a big fan of these trade associations. We've got a number of them in British Columbia. They're just doing incredible work um, because you know it, it's hard for us to understand this because we we're we're within tech, but for folks who aren't, we don't really tell our stories. And if you're working, you know, in Nelson or Nanaimo or you know Salmon Arm. You, you might not be aware of the incredible driver the technology sector is for British Columbia. And that's a concern. That's one of the reasons I wanted to run. Because when you meet people in government, you meet a lot of people from forestry and teaching and nursing and all kinds of stuff, you know, mining. But you don't really meet people from tech. We're too busy building product and making mm-hmm. money, right? So we don't go into politics or government. And, and I, I see that as a problem. Mm-hmm. So... I think having the voice of industry represented, whether it's you know DigiBC or you know Life Sciences BC or the work of BC Tech, these organizations, Frontier Collectives doing great work. These organizations mm-hmm. add huge value, huge value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Dan, Dan and group. I'm just amazed how not only not only with the Frontier Collective, like I think Dan's in a new city every other day, telling the totally. story of of Vancouver technology or Canadian technology. And it's incredible. To do that we need to do better at that you know when you look I'm, I like you I used to go to a million conferences you know and oh, yeah. and uh, you watch uh, Quebec Quebec's always there massive always. massive signs recruiting telling people what's going on in their sector mm-hmm. and BC doesn't do that as well as we could so yeah. I'm really glad for Dan's voice and we need many others we really have something special 
hospital in British Columbia and we don't toot our own horn. This is my grandma's saying. She always used to say, don't toot your own horn. But the problem <laughs> is we take that too seriously as Canadians and we have to talk more about what's going on here. There's a lot of, a lot of incredible stuff. A lot of horns to toot. I, I totally agree. Sorry, grandma, but we're going to toot some horns here because <laughs> honestly, I, like I said, I, 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 I do love to, I'm, and, and I agree with, with the lack of BC, like, or I'd even say, well, I guess with COVID, it was a little bit because I've gone to a couple of conferences and, and you'll see like Korea is always I like huge, yeah. you know, huge numbers, like monstrous numbers. Um, some of these Asian, Asian, Alberta is really pushing budget um, and all this, but I have seen a little bit of a vacuum in BC and I think we could do better. Um, yeah. I also think that we are a bit more of a mature industry, uh, which, you know, maybe the investment doesn't pay off the same as someone in Alberta where they're trying to, you know, maybe, you know, de remove themselves just from the energy sector or, or at least yeah. kind of optimize where where people can go in terms of industries and give them more advantages or cho choices yeah. um but i will i will say here because I, I i do love what dan's doing and i recognize you know i would love to see the government's budgets a little bit more to help direct the 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 respect that we should deserve and um because things you know we were constantly hearing for example with the vrar you know we're the number two I, Love to hear who the number one is. I assume it's San Francisco. It always seems to be San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, well, here's actually a good question for you. What of the digital, you know, you mentioned quite a few that DigiBC covered. What do you think BC and then Canada are doing that's world leading? Like in the terms of which, which of, is it AR, VR? Is it video games? Is, it, is there anything that BC does really, really well um, specifically? And then what Canada does really specifically? Or is it just right across the board? So I'd like to answer this question across the whole tech sector, if that's okay, okay uh, because that's been one of the most interesting parts of my learning in the last uh, two years in this role is, of course, I've known for a long time what's going on in the digital sector. I worked in that sector, but in regards to broader technology, oh, wow, there's so much going on. So in British Columbia, we are one of the leading biotech centers in the world, in the world. Yep. Um, I don't know if you know the work of Dr. Peter Cullis, for example. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Peter Cullis is, uh, you know, he'll probably win a Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. um, his research uh, really was in uh, both the Pfizer and the BioN uh, mm -hmm. vaccines. Um, billions of people <laughs> mm -hmm. have been injected with these vaccines that are based on his work. Mm -hmm. um, he's a serial entrepreneur and astounding human being and really is uh, one of the sort of great people that has led to the biotech sector just being so incredibly successful. And it's just mm -hmm. booming. It's oh, just yeah. booming right now. You know, mm -hmm. precision nanosystems, stem cell, all those guys, like the yeah. work that's going on, Abcelera, mm -hmm. uh, Carl Hansen's work. It's just yeah. it's really incredible. Just opened yeah. campus number two or three last week, I believe, for, yeah. for Abcelera. Yeah, and we're moving to manufacturing, which is really, really exciting. Um, you know, there were a lot of terrible things that happened during COVID, and COVID's not over, but it happened during the peak of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, but there were some positive outcomes, you know, the uh, uh, who's your digital strategist, COVID-19, um, <laughs> but, uh, but also um, drove a lot of us needing to understand where our weaknesses are in terms of supply chain. So having manufacturing mm -hmm. in British Columbia is really exciting. We've got a manufacturing strategy we're working on right now in government. Awesome. Um, so I would say biotech for sure. Um, Canada-wide, I'm, you know, I'm less aware of Canada-wide. I've had such a singular focus on BC. I know that mm -hmm. there's a lot of great work happening in AI, both in Ontario and British Columbia, and there, there's mm -hmm. certainly some amazing stuff. Some of that overlaps pretty strongly with the biotech sector. If you look at the work that Handel Kim's doing, for example, mm -hmm. pretty exciting. Yep. Um, we are, 
we are one of the leaders in regards to clean tech and green tech. And I think it's a space that um, this government's particularly interested in and we're driving uh, growth there as much as we can. So been some incredible, incredible work happening there. And I think most people are aware of examples like carbon engineering, which is about um, carbon sequestration. Uh, they're a, San, uh, pardon me, a Squamish based company now also in Texas. Um, they're, they're incredible and I'm very, very hopeful about them, uh, but many, many other examples. Um, but what I love about technology in British Columbia, and, and I, I, I don't hear people talking about this, but it's something I'm, I'm probably going to write about, but the sense of place in technology, right? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. I just came from a, a wonderful um, CEO getaway with some Viatech folks. Viatech is an organization in Victoria supporting tech. Um, incredible organization with amazing, amazing tech sector in Victoria. Folks aren't aware, like just killing it. Dan Gunn and group, I believe, right? Pardon me? It's Dan Gunn and group, yeah. I believe? Yeah, Dan yeah, Gunn. They're great. Yeah, yeah terrific. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of marine technology, mm -hmm. right? Which is just so Vancouver Island, isn't it? And really, really cool marine technology, barnacle technologies, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, race rock technologies. Um, they're just doing some incredible work there. Uh, and when I've been to Prince George, there's amazing technology that's specifically geared towards the forestry industry. Mm -hmm. So there, there's all kinds of really, really cool stuff happening. But back to your question about leading, uh, I think the leader in agritech is, is the Netherlands, but we are very serious about catching them. Um, we're, uh, we've got an agritech strategy and an agritech center of excellence that we've opened up with SFU. Um, it, just amazing work being done there. Uh, we've changed the uh, agricultural land reserve rules in British Columbia just last year so that we can have vertical growing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so excited to think about what this can mean, both for food security, uh, for export, but also in terms of the transition of our economy, right? So mm -hmm. circling back to one of your earlier questions, why am I doing this work? I, I come from uh, Vancouver Island. I grew up in the Naimo. Um, my dad was a logger. A lot of my cousins are still in primary industry. Um, you know, my boyfriend from high school was uh, seriously damaged in a logging accident. Oh. You know, I, I know people who've been like, all, all kind. it's a tough, these are tough jobs and they're going oh. away and people are suffering in small towns because of that. And I think we can do better. And I think technology uh, is a huge part of the solution of what the future of British Columbia looks like, right? I think mm -hmm. that's really, really important. And one of my favorite stories, and I'm going to be watching this closely. So I grew up at a time where mills were being shut down and, and my mostly my male friends were losing their jobs. And there's a lot of alcoholism and bad stuff going on. So the mill shut down in Campbell River. So, you know, Edward Martin, and he's um, doing farm, great. <laughs> That with cubic farms at Ed, Ed, cubic farms yeah. so cubic farms is growing vertical in this shutdown mill in Campbell River and I just can't tell you how happy that makes me you know I think these are the kinds of solutions that we need to be finding for small towns in British Columbia we have to help them create jobs that are meaningful and that also you know are incredible solutions right mm -hmm. and and that that needs to happen everywhere so I, yeah. I, I'm just in love with uh, uh, whenever I see small towns embracing technology and people finding solutions, it just, it's the best. That's awesome. And I think we have such a good opportunity for decentralization right now, especially as families recognize or young families are recognizing maybe Vancouver is a, a difficult place to raise family, mostly on terms of cost. And maybe there's, you know, better opportunities. And I mean, what you said about Squamish, for example, I can't believe how many companies are pumping out oh, of Squamish. Yeah. Like, and why wouldn't they? It's a beautiful place to live. It's close Absolutely. to both Whistler and Vancouver. You have 
lifestyle. The weather's still good. There's so much to do. I mean, why not do a startup, you know, out of, out of, out of there? And, oh, there's so much. And, you know, when it comes to Cubic Farms, because I'm a huge fan of Cubic Farms, like a huge, huge fan. I'm an investor, too. Also, well, in the sense of the public markets. But that I really do want to put my money where the mouth, my money where my mouth is, because I do recognize. And I, I, I keep imagining and imagining the technology, because I have watched a lot of videos on not just their technology, but the technology at whole, and, and definitely the, the, you know, the uh, automation that you do see in the Netherlands and their, their, yeah. their, their, how much they can grow per square foot is insane and all, all, all these sort of things. But my parents live in Salzburg, okay? They live in a beautiful community on Salzburg Island, where I call it almost the old folks neighborhood, because everyone takes care of everyone. Like, I cannot ever imagine. I hope that I have something like that. It's like being, I mean, my parents aren't that old. They're, you know, 75. But everyone, like, I, I'll be, I was there last week. It's like, hey, so, um, the neighbor's got an extra piece of, or an extra half of watermelon. All these are, like, they're sharing. It's very communal. It's beautiful. They're taking care of each other. And I was thinking, wow, can we, can, you know, could we get one of those you know, the containers that, that, that the Cubic Farms is doing and just put it in communities like that where they actually then can take care of, especially, you know, a socialist sort of upbringing in Salt Spring of all places, but where sure. you can actually have one of those containers and then it takes care of all your neighbors and you're paying for that as a subscription of a service and you get your fresh organic, you know, um, vegetables and all this. I mean, I see that as the future of taking care of communities and what they're doing in, in a very non-traditional way so it's, it's going to be a very different way of looking at economics and I'm, I'm just excited about the opportunity that that lies um are you as a government and i assume you are looking at how do we optimize that decentralization out of out of city out of victoria out of vancouver um where you know we can create opportunities in campbell river all these places because tech it, it, location is superfluous it does not matter where you are until you want to try doing the sale maybe you have to come in but you can do all the development all that is there certain programs that are in place or thought of um to try that decentralization so um yes and no so the yes part is um one of the things I'm really happy to see government doing, and I, I can't take responsibility for this, this has been driven uh, before my arrival, but I'm really happy we're doing it, is very, very strong commitments to make sure that um, the entire province is wired. Mm -hmm. Because there's still a lot of small towns where, um, you know, the speed of connection is a barrier for exactly what we want to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the work that's been going on on that has been just incredible. Uh, with all kinds of different partners and with a very singular driven vision. Um, mm -hmm. And it's the, the last mile piece is really, really tough, um, but mm -hmm. we're getting there. And we're using all kinds of ways of doing it, including Starlink. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, perfect. it's it's perfect. Yeah, it, and and I'm, I'm really happy to see that happen because, you know, very often this, the communities that are left behind are First Nations communities as well. And the opportunity yeah. for First Nations and tech is massive as you probably are aware. Yeesh. So. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so that's the first piece, getting all that groundwork done, and, and that's that's going to be completed by 2027. Okay. Um, so that's huge. And I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for a strategy that would help us ensure that we're driving tech into the smaller communities. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, <clears throat> we don't, pardon me, <clears throat> that's not currently in place, but it's something that many of us are, are very interested in, including uh, uh, Raleigh Russell, who's the parliamentary secretary for... Um, rural development and doing really excellent work and uh, really gets tech and, and uh, just an incredible guy as well. So I've got great partners in this objective. And I think there's interesting ways to do it. I know, for example, um, DigiBC, it's being run by Locke Dow, great guy. Mm -hmm. And he 
presented to government, um, you know, since, since my departure, and I've heard him present, uh, that, you know, perhaps something we could do is have a tax incentive that has an increased amount if you're building in a smaller community. Mm. I think that's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. I know that for, for the animation sector, uh, some of their incentives include bump ups uh, mm -hmm. for, for working in smaller communities. So I think there are tools available to us to help drive that, but we do have to have the infrastructure in place. Oh, for sure. But I think decentralized, I mean, I really like hearing that because I think you're right, you have to be connected first, but then decentralization is so necessary, especially when you look at how big and beautiful our province is and how untouched it is by so, you know, by, but we can probably stretch a lot of people into a lot more room. Um, well, you know what, I just talking about, you know, connections and staying together. I just want to share um, our startup of the week. How is that segue? We're going to do the segue like that because awesome. it is all about connections. I was so lucky to sit down with with a good buddy of mine, uh, Tim from uh, from Coupley. Now, now Coupley is an amazing uh, software that's about keeping relationships together. Um, but he has a great question that he wanted to ask you personally. Tim, elevator pitch time. What's the name of your company and what do you do? Well, hello, Chris. Yeah, so Coupley is the app for couples, and we help couples improve their communication and deepen their understanding. Look, there are a ton of apps out there that help people get into a relationship, but not so many that help people stay in a relationship. And that's what we're building with Coupley, the app that helps you stay in your relationship. I love that. I think that's amazing. Well, well you know what, in three-ish sentences, tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about the founding team. Yeah, so myself, I'm Tim, CEO and co-founder. I spent 10 years at the Red Cross uh, in the relationship and mental health space, and then six and a half years helping build a Canadian company called Wattpad, which is an app for readers and writers. At Wattpad, I met my co-founder, Dinesh Raymond, CTO, software engineer, Flutter legend, and fun fact, Dinesh is also a classical pianist, and in fact, almost became uh, a pianist as his profession, but he still smashes those keys, but writing code for Coupley. Love it, love it. And I've met Dinesh too. I met him at your at your product launch, which was a, which was a, a fun party in Toronto, I gotta say. Well, why did you start Coupley? Yeah, so I got into this for a really, a, quite a personal reason. I went through a divorce and we went through the whole thing, went to couples therapy and man, it's a, it's a tough, it's hard, it's a, it's a painful process. And after that, I realized um, it's a problem and it's a problem that we can really, really help people with. Look, 30% of relationships don't work out even when both people want them to. On average, I discovered people wait six years until they go to see a couple's counselor and 25% of people in the US end up going, right? So huge, huge, huge problem here. And I've seen how technology has helped writers and the writing space and I knew that we could build the technology to help couples and and so that's kind of the the origin story and I love it and I love it and 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 was there a certain contest that you won when you were when you were announcing this idea can you share that with me yeah that's right we launched in April 2021 at the collision uh, conference and we entered uh, the collision pitch and we won and we were definitely one of the smaller companies there. We'd really just formed. We had our first thousand users and uh, winning that just pushed us up and beyond. We met a ton of great people. Casey Lau, who's been helping us and been an ambassador for us. It so many awesome. others. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome guy in the Canadian tech scene and beyond. Um, and that really got us, got us going. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, can you share with us what is like a latest biggest win? We'll call it mm-hmm. a big win that's happened lately for Coupling. I've got two. Okay, the, the first one is um, a user interview which just like filled the, the fuel of the rocket ship. And it was, the story is basically this. One of our users, he's been married for 20 years, got four kids. On the brink of a breakup, they're sleeping in different rooms. He's looking mm-hmm. at moving out. He's pretty much accepted it. Gives Coupley a go as the last chance. Coupley helps him rebuild his relationship with his wife and his, and in his words, bring their family back together. And he said within two weeks of using the app, he'd learned new things about his partner, the way she wanted their relationship to be that he didn't know for 20 years. So that for us is the magic. This is why we're doing what we do. That's number one. Number two, we've crossed a a really cool, um, a a really cool marker of 250,000 downloads. So that's an exciting milestone for us as well. Amazing. Congratulations. Wow. Well, I mean, 250,000. I mean, that's, that's a huge number. What, what, tell me something you've learned along the way that you wish you understood before you started. Sit down and watch someone new work through your product. It's so painful. It's so painful where they're pushing the wrong thing and you don't understand why they're doing that, but it will save you hours and hours and hours of time, um, of, 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 headaches and pain just watch someone use it don't tell them stay quiet write a lot of notes that for us has been so powerful Uh, research 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 i could not agree with you more oh my gosh can i not well as you know we chat with some of canada's most successful founders on afternoon tea and our guest this week is brenda bailey mla for vancouver falls creek parliamentary secretary for technology innovation and among other things founder of the silicon sisters a video game company aimed at females which is awesome well I'd love for you to share a question that you have for Brenda. Brenda, I'd love to know what was the biggest aha moment of your career? That time when you realized you had something and you were creating value for people. That moment where you knew you you had it. Um, and I guess the follow-on questions would be, when did that moment come? How did you realize that? And what happened, aka, give me the tea? Wow, Tim, that's a great question. Um, I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to answer it in in this way. So, I was working as the CEO of a video game company. Actually, I think at this moment I was the COO. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've played video games ever since I was a little girl. And when I wanted to go into business, it made sense that it would be in video games, live in Vancouver, and you know, PS mm-hmm. PSP and DS were being rolled out and you could make smaller games for smaller budgets. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I was really lucky to find five guys leaving EA. We started Deep Fried Entertainment in 2004. So a little bit later, I'm at a conference and I'm a COO and I'm running the company. And we didn't have a CEO, by the way, we had a COO and a CTO. Mm-hmm. So I'm running the company and I'm, I'm in this meeting and there must be 150 guys there, right? And I think it was myself and uh, Samantha who was running uh, Anyways, there were two women in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the head of Zynga got up and was talking about, man, do we get to live the life running these video game studios. We get to live the life. We're making games that are about our fantasies. Mm-hmm. You know, you can race your car through the streets of Tokyo. You can, you know, get that final touchdown. You can, um, you know, go back in time and kill Hitler in a war game. You can, you can fly that, you know, 787 that you dream, like all that stuff. And they, and he was just, and everyone in the room was like, yes, except me. 
I was like, uh, I mean, yeah, sure, I'd love to go back in time and kill Hitler, true, but I'm not, I mean, that, and I found myself thinking, wow, what are my fantasies? That thorny old problem, what do women want? What are, what, what does that look like? And, and no surprise, we've left women behind in gaming, right? I mean, I played video games. I grew up on a small golf island just off Nanaimo, and I used to save up babysitting money. And that time you had to go to the arcade. I spent all my money at the arcade. And games weren't gendered. Like, I remember being at the arcade, and there were just as many girls as boys. They, they weren't gendered. It wasn't really until FPSs came up. But anyways, I think we we made a decision, or somehow it happened, that we, we kind of just left this huge chunk of society behind. So I found myself sitting there thinking, that's, that's what I'm going to solve. That's the thing I want to solve. And I ended up leaving Deep Pride and starting Silicon Sisters, which I actually think was the first woman owned and run video game studio in the world. I know other women had run studios. I don't think it was owned though. Mm -hmm. So we, we started really kind of trying to figure that piece out, trying to solve that question is what, what do women and girls want to play? What do they connect with? What are their fantasies? Mm -hmm. How can we deliver on that? And that was the entire uh, driving insight behind that really fun and cool and amazing company. That's awesome. I, I I really love it. And I have I that's actually I met you when um when you're with Silicon Sisters. And, right. and the first thing, the first thing that hit me was like, this is such a great idea. This is so needed. Why does this not exist on mass in 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 big numbers? Because you're bang on. I mean, there is 50% of the population that's not being served in terms of you know, maybe what they value or what they want to be doing with their time. And yeah. um this is this is this is this is of importance. Well, tell you what, um Silicon Sisters. I mean, tell me, how did you like? For example, you're talking about the the the, the fantasies or the directions of the storylines that, that 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 ladies might be interested. How did you research that? How did you come like up with a list of? Oh, okay, this is the direction we want to go, or was it simply the story that you wanted to tell or hear, and then move from that? Yeah. So I would say um, uh, one of the kiss of deaths is just doing what you want. You have to test, 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 test. So our <laughs> first game. Um, I, I had, first of all, I had the great benefit of starting this company with a woman named Kirsten Forbes, who's just one of the best humans on the planet. And mm -hmm. he was thinking about starting a, a women's video game studio. And I was thinking about starting and somebody said, you two better talk to each other. We said, ah, let's do this together. Good so advice. we both left other companies and we had a few nickels in our pocket. So we took six months just to research this question, just to research mm -hmm. it. And it's a good thing we're not guys because we spend a lot of time hanging out, um, watching girls at high schools. <laughs> and how they were behaving research it was research and it was mm -hmm. so interesting watching you know we went to middle schools too and we also worked collaboratively with some high schools in north vancouver uh, to do testing and to get ideas mm -hmm. from them so um often what happens when you watch young folks is a and this is not always we're speaking in oftens and stereotypes are always risky because we leave people mm -hmm. behind i just want to acknowledge sure. i'm speaking mm -hmm. about most of the time not all the time mm -hmm. kids come racing out at recess boys go and kick the ball, girls start meeting up in groups and they're mm -hmm. talking and they're collaborating and they're solving problems. And some people say it's gossip, but it's really social engineering. It's social mm -hmm. engineering. And women historically have been responsible for relationships and we're, we're really good at relationships. And we practice it. We practice it like mad all the way through junior high and high school. And that's the stuff we do for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is, you know, did you hear that you know, Susan's brother, Jeremy was in a car accident. He's really injured. And is she okay? And her, like, there's pro we're problem solving, we're caring, we're, we're dealing with stuff. So our first series was called School 26. And it's a kid who's been at 25 other schools, her, her, she wants to graduate and stay still, her parents move constantly. 
And they make the deal that if she can uh, be successful at the school, they will stay put. So the deal is she goes to the school and there's all these kids who have different challenges and she's got to help them try to figure it out. And at first, I used to be a social worker back in the day. And at first I thought, oh, she's a social worker. She's this young, cool social worker with great boots who comes into the school and you get to operate as her. And we, we, we did this mock-up and then we took it to the high schools and the kids hated it. Oh. They hated it. So good warning about doing what you think you should do. Ask, ask your market. So market testing said, no, 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 no. We hate authority. We want to be the problem solvers. We want to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing about being this kid and coming into the school and problem solving. So, you know, in a traditional RPG, you might be collecting coins to level up or get better armor. In this case, you're using empathy. And the more you use empathy, the more you level up. And not only level up yourself, but you level up your entire class to the point where win state is all students graduating. Amazing. Yeah, it was really interesting. Amazing very guided by the young women that we worked with. I want to play that. (laughs) It's such a beautiful story. (laughs) Well, It it was really interesting. And and these were not easy problems. You know, this was one kid was binge drinking. Another kid was having trouble coming out. There was, you know, there there was real conflict, real challenges. challenges. But high school, um, really a Vancouver high school kind of story in that it ton of diversity, mm-hmm. uh, questions about, you know, sexuality being asked and explored in relatively safe, safe ways compared mm-hmm. to say, for example, Russia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this game um, got really interesting traction in different places in the world. It was really meaningful in very restrictive countries, for example. We would hear from young people all the time about how important it was to them and how much they got out of it and how they were um, feeling seen and heard. And that was not something I you know, we didn't make it with that intention, but it was really powerful that that happened. Oh, honestly, that it almost brings a tear to my eye to think, I mean, I think of my daughter, you know, and her, I don't want to call struggles with school because I think she owns the school, at least she thinks she does. Um, yeah. But the, 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 the whole notion of everyone winning together, everyone graduating together, I think there needs to be more games like that. Like, uh, um, I, I don't remember or know if you remember, you know, the pre-Slack days with Tiny Spec when they, when yeah, they yeah. the game. Um, Oh my glitch, glitch. We we actually created the uh, the Android app for them. But I love the notion of it. I love the character where everyone was trying to win together. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Robin Hunicki was working on that, right? She's a brilliant mm-hmm. female game designer. So, yeah. and this is one of the things is that when you have more diversity, you have more diverse product. It's really very simple, and yet something we blow continually. Incredibly simple, incredibly simple. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, you served as the executive director of Big Sisters of BC mm-hmm. Laura Mainland. Sounds incredibly rewarding. What were sort of the challenges you faced in that role? Because there's got to be a lot of challenges, I assume, too. Yeah. So um, before, I, I mean, I have a lot of background in the nonprofit sector. That's sort of I've had kind of three careers in my life: nonprofit sector. I ran the Cancer Society. I worked um, on issues of. I worked for the Victoria Women's Sexual Assault Center. I ran a domestic violence program in Wisconsin. I ran Big Sisters. Mm-hmm. So I have this sort of nonprofit experience and I have my tech experience and now I'm doing government. So I think these sort of three specific careers in the nonprofit sector and big sisters, you know, the challenge is um, always one of funding, right? And, um, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a big challenge for the nonprofits. We really do have to um, put more value on those organizations in my view. Um, big sisters, uh, the concept of mentorship, man, that's powerful. And I, I'm just such a big believer in mentorship. And I've been so lucky to have wonderful mentors, it's, it's particularly in my tech career, because I came in mm-hmm. without 
that background, right? Um, wonderful mentors, both male and female. And mentorship at Big Sisters is, is um, just a beautiful thing. Big Brothers, Big Sisters both use the same tool. And the research really shows that when you have these matches, the thing that comes out of it is confidence, mm -hmm. right? And confidence is, is really the key to unlock so many opportunities for young people. So sure. um, I'm a big believer in that model. And, and I, I, really do love, um, I really do love these organizations. On the mm -hmm. challenge side, um, it, it's tough. It's tough to run an organization that, you know, social workers, young social workers in particular, uh, don't get paid uh, as much as they should for the value of the work that they bring, in my opinion. And we were based in Vancouver, right? We were at 12th and Main. So mm -hmm. you're making, let's say at that time, 50 grand, and you got to live in Vancouver. That is a tough mm -hmm. problem. That's a thorny problem. Mm -hmm. So people would live quite a long ways away. And, and it was really, really tough. Um, we ended up opening up a shop in Surrey, uh, largely because we were serving many people in Surrey, of course, but mm -hmm. also so our workers could work somewhere without having to drive for an hour and a half to come into the city. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that's not unique uh, to Big Sisters. A lot of organizations are really struggling with this. We can't just have a town or a province that's only designed for wealthy people. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And we've got, anyways, I could talk forever about housing. We got to get on top of the housing crisis. It's killing us. I agree. I agree completely. That is a, that is a huge, huge issue that uh, I don't have answers for. I don't know who does, but we got to figure something out. Oh. Well, it's so deeply complex. It's not one answer. It's multiple, multiple, multiple answers. But yeah. the good news is we've got a lot of a lot of folks working on it. There's uh, it's a heavy lift, and there's lots of hands at the table right now. Yeah, and you need all three levels of government working together for that one too. This isn't just yeah. a one. This isn't a provincial thing. This is. And, and this I would is... say four levels of government, including First Nations. Absolutely true. Oh. Who are doing some incredible work in the housing file as well. Like it's it's a it's a big challenge. Yeah. Thank thank, thank you for suggesting that. I, I hadn't actually thought of First Nations in that, and that's incredibly important. So I, I really appreciate. Appreciate you highlighting that. Um, well, we're talking about the, the trifecta of politics, business, um, we'll call it um, institutions. How yeah. do they all differ in, in terms of what are your needs to, um, to help make those successful? How, how, does, how is it, uh, a political organization from a public institution to private enterprise? How does it differ for what you were required to do? Well, that's really an interesting question. Um, in, in many ways, they're really similar. I, I think leadership is leadership is leadership, you mm -hmm. know? So I, that piece to me feels really, um, it's a hat you can kind of, you can put different hats on that head pretty easily, I think. Um, the context of it though, in terms of what you can accomplish is really, really different. When you're an entrepreneur, you can take your idea and just run with it. I mean, mm -hmm. look at Silicon Sisters. Me and Kerr just decided to do that and we mm -hmm. did. You know, it's, <clears throat> there's a certain, and I'm not suggesting being an entrepreneur is easy. Don't, don't think for a minute I'm saying that it's not, but there's a beauty in the freedom of it. There really is. Mm -hmm. um, in, and I think in government, kind of a lot different than that, right? There's very little freedom, but there's a lot of opportunity to make important change. So, so really different context, but again, leadership and vision and being able to bring people along with you in the vision. I think that's where the power lies in all three of those examples, you know? Sure. Um, and I, I, I feel like good leaders who are strategic, who have a strong vision uh, can drive in all three of those contexts equally well. For sure. Well, I mean, the theme here, obviously, is you as a leader, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, say anything less. Like, definitely, you've been so blessed to to have been a leader. But at what age did you have that confidence? As you said, mentors give you confidence. Once you have confidence, you can go forward. 
to become a leader? Did it, was there any time that reflected on you, say grade school, high school? I'm assuming it happened before university because you're already doing a lot of organizations. When did you realize that I have the spice to be a leader? Like when, 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 when was that become apparent to you? So embarrassing story. Um, if you read my kindergarten report card, <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed and also it's very insightful. So Mrs. Sloger, my kindergarten teacher who I loved wrote that it would be nice if Brenda would let um, me run the class sometimes. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, she, was, she was very good friends with my mom. I think that remark was written for my mom, but um, I, I've struggled with, um, with being uh, quite a bossy person and quite a, um, and, and, you know, bossiness is a type of leadership, right? You have, a, you, you think this is what people should do because you see it. So for me, much of my leadership has been learning how not to be uh, the loudest voice in the room and learning how not to uh, always um, have to have the, uh, the answer or the vision or that, you know, to make space for other amazing people and to become a team player. And that, that's mm -hmm. been my, my journey in leadership and mm -hmm. because I was kind of born with that, uh, I'm going to run the show gene. Um, and, and that's, uh, it's, it's actually quite hard to, to back away from that. Actually, it's oh, yeah. taken a lot of, uh, a lot of good training and some great mentorship by some wonderful, wonderful leaders. Um, but I, I also like the, the question of confidence is such an interesting one. And I've always suffered from excessive confidence and, mm -hmm. um, and that's a very rare trait, particularly in women. Mm -hmm. And I look around at these incredible young people that I meet with men and women, uh, and, and actually folks um, um, from many genders who really struggle with confidence. And if I could understand where that came from and how to bottle it, man, that would be something to solve because, you know, extraordinary people are being held back by anxiety and so much anxiety right now around us, particularly with, with folks who are my kids' age in their 20s. I just don't really know. I mean, I, I grew up in a small town. My dad was my hero. He always made me feel like I was the smartest, prettiest, most brilliant human in the room. I've, for some crazy reason, believed him, none of which was true. But it was just really, um, you know, having that sort of cheering section. But I know a lot of kids who have that, who, who don't have the confidence. So it's not just that, it's something else. I, I think I, I went to work at a really young age. My parents almost lost their house in the 80s when interest mm. rates went to 18%. I remember that. Um, and I, and we, we went, if I wanted a pair of jeans, I had to go earn them. So I had my first job when I was, I think, 15. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's part of it is you become self-reliant young. Maybe that's helpful, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. But confidence is really important. And that's one of the reasons I've really connected with, as we talked about earlier, with mentorship and big sisters is mm -hmm. that, that, that magic pill of confidence. If we can build that in people, it's just so powerful. Oh, I, I could I could not agree more. And, and 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 speaking of mentorship, I mean that's kind of the theme of what we're doing here in afternoon tea. I mean, again, we're here to speak with wonderful entrepreneurs and leaders uh, like yourself in order to prepare that next generation of of founders or leaders for that matter. Um, so I have these two questions I ask at, at at every one of these episodes, and I'm really excited to hear to hear your your responses. Uh, I think that they're really personal. So the first, can you please share one piece of advice to help one? One piece of advice for helping younger Canadian founders. I think um, for me, the piece of advice would, was, would be always remain authentic. And um, integrity, integrity is the most important thing. And I remember my dad teaching me that integrity is what happens when no one's watching and you could do something that would benefit you and you choose not to, right? That's what integrity mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. 
I, I really try to live my life that way. And, and it's not always been easy. You know, there's been opportunities. So I've got, I'll, I'll tell you, do you have time for a quick story? About oh, it? we've got all the time in the world for you. So let me tell you about how I didn't make the Kim Kardashian game that made $88 million. Hmm. Let me tell you that story. Mm -hmm. So when we were running Silicon Sisters, um, we had the opportunity to make uh, the Kim Kardashian game. And at that time, wow. uh, Kardashian was really only known for a sex video um, and uh, uh, had just started uh, a television show, but really wasn't all that well known, but um, wanted to have a video game made. And I, I struggled with it because Silicon Sisters was about, we were, we were trying to help young women fall in love with technology, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that young people who play video games have a far likely, um, I think one point, what is it, 75% more likely to join the uh, STEM cell, pardon me, the STEM sector. So mm -hmm. not just video games, but all STEM, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so there was that piece. But we, we also wanted to build games that were making young people stronger and more resilient and, um, and heard and seen. And it was hard to imagine how at that time, that brand, the Kim Kardashian brand could interface with Silicon Sisters. And mm -hmm. our integrity at the time was just mm -hmm. to, to do that. Um, they did eventually find a way to, to build that game, but we, we had to step back from it. We had to step back from many, many games. Silicon Sisters would have been a massive success if we had made celebrity games. We could very easily have done that. Lady Gaga was another opportunity that we had. Now, I think in retrospect, I probably could have found an integrous way to do that. Someone else did, but I, I didn't, and we kept true to our values. At, when I was at Deep Fried Entertainment, I had a chance to work on uh, an unnamed franchise, which includes running over women with cars, and I chose not to do oh, that. Good so, choice. Yeah, but again, lots of money on the table. So um, I've, I've walked away from big pots of cash um, uh, because, because of integrity. And, and for me, I'm good with that. Uh, and I know Kirsten's good with that, but, mm -hmm. but other people might make a different decision. But I think whatever your integrity is, whatever is the thing that drives you, just it, it's, it's the piece to come back to and just ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? Am I not? How does it feel? You know, mm. and stay true to it. Stay true to thyself, as our, our friend Shakespeare says. I, I, I think that's a wonderful story. Thank you for, for extending that one. That was needed to be needed to be told. I, I learned a lot. Well, our last question, well, the last official question is, can you share the name of a Canadian entrepreneurial star or founder that you personally look up to? Gosh, there's so many. There is. Um, so on a personal level, I'll just give a shout out to Linda Brown Ganser. Linda Brown has been a personal mentor for me uh, from the minute I dipped my toe into technology and someone who just uh, leads with so much soul. Um, and everywhere she goes, she builds community. And I think I think I really admire that about, I've seen this with multi, and, and actually, Chris, you guys are doing it too, so shout out to you. Thank I think you. people who, who, who take their leadership role and, and um, you know, not only just lead their business, but lead community and, and really um, share the wealth of knowledge, share the insights, find ways to, to ensure that, that we're lifting all boats. And, and I've seen that in our, I'm so lucky to know people mm. who do that work. And Linda's just one of the best. She um, used to have this women's poker group and some of the most, um, the, for, for women in tech. And I think I'm gonna mm -hmm. start it up again, actually. It was awesome. some of the best times I've had or, or in that group and some of my closest friends. And, and when you're a small group that, um, that sometimes struggles with uh, representation, it's so great to get 
time together to connect as well. So she's mm-hmm. been an extraordinary leader. She's also just an amazing businesswoman who just had an exit for her company, Coratio. Um, and, and I'm really proud of the work that she's done. So I would say Linda for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie at Clay, he's, he's someone I deeply admire, Jamie Chung, who is, um, and, and what I admire most about Jamie, we started our first video game studios at the same time in 2004 on Homer Street in Yaletown. He was in the next, uh, next uh, office over. And I watched Jamie just stay deeply committed to his vision. And I say for Jamie, it's an artistic vision. Like he does not compromise on the quality of the product he puts out. He never has. And he has remained private right up to the point where he sold to Tencent, probably one of our biggest video game exits in Canadian history. He doesn't toot his own horn, but that was serious. And I just, I have so much respect for the way that he was so committed to product and to his players, you know, and, and just would not negotiate on those at all. And his team, right? So just great leadership, absolutely great leadership integrity 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 we're learning we're learning a lot here we're learning a lot confidence and integrity can can lead you know to such an amazing journey and adventure and 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 you know i just personally want to want, want to thank you for, for your friendship over these years but also for for your time today to help um share your path share your journey and you know share some wonderful ideas again confidence integrity just do what you want do do what feels right to you. I mean, these are wonderful lessons for for everyone. And 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 again, I'll be cheering for you. You know, whether it's uh, uh, Premier Bailey in, in in the future or Prime Minister Bailey, I will be definitely cheering you on. Um, uh, and for that, and and I just want to personally thank you for for also all the value that you created within our community and made us all um, better and BC better. And I, I will continue cheering as that continues on. So thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. And back at you. Thanks for the great community building that you do as well. It's been a real pleasure having this time with you today. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you liked this episode and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at TTT, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at TTT underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.